Welcome to Mavericks, a pursuit podcast. Scaling a sales team is hard. Pursuit sources top sales talent for thousands of companies. We've seen firsthand the companies that are set up to win and the ones that are bound to fail. But recruiting is only a piece of the puzzle. In each episode, we speak to an industry expert specializing in a unique vertical within the sales motion who's walked the walk and successfully implemented a blueprint that has taken their sales team to the next level. Come get equipped, hear from the best, and level up your sales team. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm uh, really excited to, to speak with my good buddy, Brandon Bacon. Uh, I want to first do a little bit of an introduction because this is the first time that the, the audience has probably seen me. So I'm Coleman Stapp. I'm our director of sales here at Pursuit. Uh, a little bit about me. I was the sixth employee here at Pursuit. I joined in 2017 when we were a tiny, tiny team, started off as a recruiter, worked my way up through the sales rankings, and and then now helping lead our sales team. So I've been a part of Pursuit since the beginning. I've been, uh, I, I hope that Carter would say that I've been a big help in, in helping us get to where we are now. Uh, and so that's, that's a little bit about who I am. I'm more excited for y'all to hear about uh, my good buddy, Brandon, who I've known for a very long time. Uh, and so Brandon, please introduce yourself to everybody. Yes, my name is Brandon Bacon. I am the VP of U.S. Sales at Argon, A-R-G-O-N, medical.com. Not the gas, but we do interventional radiology and vascular products is where we we focus. Uh, I will have been employed and worked at Argon for 13 years. Uh, Prior to that, I worked for a company called Angiotech, where my CEO was the general manager uh, that I followed over to Argon. And prior to getting into the vascular space in that life, I worked in the orthopedic, uh, primarily the trauma world, um, going back from 2001 to about 2006 with a mix of capital equipment sales uh, for about 18 months leading into 2008. For those of you who are on the younger side, you probably study that in history as one of the greatest recessions this country has ever seen. So uh, I bailed out and went to, uh, to came over to, to the vascular world and have uh, obviously stuck with it because I really enjoy what I'm doing. And ironically, to give a little background on this, as you heard Coleman's prelude uh, about himself, uh, I've followed a similar path. Is I got hired at Argonne as a territory manager, uh, was in that role, then was promoted to the OEM director, uh, which is where I sold business, uh, our products to other businesses. Uh, from there, I was promoted to regional manager, where I was in that role for seven years, uh, in that time, I was interim director of sales, uh, moved back down to regional manager. Uh, then I was promoted to director of sales in November of 2020. Uh, and then four months later, I was moved to VP of sales. So uh, similar to, to Coleman of the benefit of staying loyal is opportunities present themselves. Uh, and if you're doing the right things that you can then go through and uh, pursue those opportunities, continue to, to grow your, uh, your future at whatever company you're at. Well said, man. The, the, there's good and bad to that. The good part is you have a way longer and more impressive resume than me. I'm old. The bad thing is you really, you aged yourself big time, my friend. I'm old. But that's okay. I'm old. That's all it's right. All right. It happens to everybody. Hopefully the audience can relate. <laughs> well, man, I'm, I'm so excited to talk with you today. Um, folks, here's a little bit about what we're going to talk about. There's really two main topics that Brandon and I want to discuss uh, this morning or whenever it is that you're listening to this episode. Number one, uh, with Brandon's extensive background in medical, him entering that space and 
flourishing, excelling within that and growing. Uh, I want him to talk a little bit about how to break into medical. I know there's a lot of people where that's their goal. That's their career trajectory that they want. It's very hard to do. Medical is one of the most competitive markets and industries that you can get into. And so uh, I want Brandon to go through any tips and tricks that he has as the first topic. The second topic I want us to talk about uh, is leading a successful sales team. A lot about what Brandon just spoke about was, again, climbing the ranks. He has led individual contributors as well as other sales leaders for a very long time. Uh, Brandon's somebody that I've known now since I was 23. I think that uh, I think that we've known each other about seven years now, Brandon. Whenever I talk about you and tell people, because Kelsey, our producer, asked, "How do you do? You know Brandon pretty well?" I was like, "I hug him when I see him. Like I, he was one of, if not the first." Uh, major partner that I brought on. And uh, he gave me a shot when I was fresh out of college. Hopefully he would say that it's it's been really successful and we've we've stayed good friends and, and trash talk more than we do compliment each other, which is really the sign of a good bromance in my opinion. So, so what you're saying, Coleman, is that I built you and I appreciate that. I, I can't take all the credit. You did do some pretty okay. hard work in there. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. That's the nicest thing he's ever said to me, folks. So you're here to witness that. <laughs> No, Brandon, you are the man. I, I would totally agree with that. Brandon has been uh, an intricate part of my story as I've grown through the ranks from sales rep to sales leader. I would say more importantly, though, Brandon has been a massive champion of pursuit. Uh, he's been somebody that has supported, again, myself and our business really since the inception, since we started as a company. He's somebody that supported us, helped us grow. And I want you to hear that, man, because I probably don't tell you that enough. But we would not be here where we are today. When I joined the team, we were six, seven, eight people. We're looking, we're just shy of 70 right now. And you played a massive role in helping us get to that spot. You and Todd and, and some of the other sales leaders. So I really want to thank you for that, man. And, and uh, I appreciate you so much. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, providing solid candidates to me, which obviously has helped uh build my teams, which then build my numbers, which builds my resume, which lets me climb up. So it's, uh, as I benefit you, you've benefited me as well. Yeah. We've gotten to kind of grow together both in our careers. So it's been fun, man. Well, let's, let's dive into that first topic. Uh, folks, again, the first one that we'll talk about is, is breaking into medical sales. So let's get a little bit more background from you, Brandon, just that way the viewers can understand uh, the extent of your experience a little more. How many people would you say that you've managed in your career so far? In totality? Yeah, let's say individual contributors and sales leaders, whether it's direct or indirectly. Probably close to 200, maybe more. Close to 200, yeah. How many people have you hired, would you say? All in, probably about 100, maybe more. And has how many years has that been over, those 100? That would be... About 11 years. 11 years. Okay. So one thing to, to think through is Brandon's hiring a ton of people all within the medical space in that past 11 years, right? Brandon? Correct. So as Brandon and I have worked together over the years, he has taught me and our organization a ton about how to get candidates prepared to win interviews. Because one thing that, that we've seen, and hopefully the candidates that have worked with us have seen is when you're trying to break into medical, it's not good enough to just have experience. You have to have the personality and you have to have the grit to break into sales, into medical sales rather. 
So Brandon, what would you say over the years, what are the things that you look for? Like you're in the interview process. It's the first time that you're either meeting somebody, or you're talking to them. What's going to stand out to you? Well, I'll, I'll back out to the, to the beginning of it. Um, when, when we interview or when I'm looking to, to interview candidates, the, the first thing that you send over is resume. And I'm going to go ahead and I will quell this myth. I don't read words. If there are a lot of words explaining, like other than what your job is, what the function of it is. But if you go to your bullet points below of, you know, in 2023, I did A, B, and C, and then I did this and I did this, but there's no numbers on it. I, I honestly, I, I glaze through that part before I read the job descriptions that you have in there. So if you have no sales numbers in there, you're not going to make it any further than what you sent to the resume. So I highly encourage you want to have percent to quota. You want to have real dollar growth. You want to have your ranking. Um, if you can, I know some companies don't do that, but filter out and build whatever ranking you can, whether it's a, a local area that you work in uh, of 10 reps and maybe it's a nationwide, uh, you know, massive CentOS or ADP where you'll never know where you fit in the entire organization, but you know, when your little pod, if you will, where you fit. So um, then you want to highlight any, a couple of the big deals that you, you've landed that made you or helped you hit your number. Uh, so that's, that's the first stage. Anything without numbers, I, I don't pay attention to. Uh, I learned that really quickly because I did a lot of phone screens with words and found out that they were, were great people, just not good candidates for what we're looking to do. Uh, the second thing when you're coming from outside med is there's there's a misconception amongst a lot of, of managers and you know for for some reason a lot of people like to get someone from med device now when you're in the same industry for a long period of time like i am there there are some continuities as to reps you're looking to call on so what you need to know is is kind of what you're interviewing for is it going to be a small territory with five to, to ten hospitals that you're going to be working in one or two departments on or is it similar to our company setup where you're going to have a large geography and you're going to be hitting multiple call points per account? And, and when the, the hiring managers, they'll, they'll look and they'll say, you know, what I've, I've personally found is that getting a rep and there are great reps at what they do in, in a specific uh, market with one or two products, with one or two call points, and they have very small territories, they typically do not transition really well to what our setup is. And so if you have outside sales experience and a B2B background, what you want to do is build the model and speak to how your function today correlates to what they're doing. And the other thing that, that separates a lot of the, the great candidates, because I'd probably say I've hired about 50 or 60 percent. And Coleman, you would know as you recruited most of my people from B2B backgrounds. Yeah. I prefer the B2B background yeah. because I'd rather have someone who doesn't know what they don't know. And I can teach you about a hospital because the, the the door that typically says do not enter is exactly where you need to be. And when you don't know that you're not supposed to go back there, you typically run back there. But when you're trying to break in and it's, it's harder today and it keeps getting harder uh, year over year is, is you wanna try to get into hospitals and there's credentialing processes and things like that, but not every hospital has them. So I, I say this, be careful, don't violate any rules of the hospital. But if they're not laid out to go meet with, you know, nurses or try to find a doctor that will give you five minutes to explain what your product is or that you may be selling, what they do, what they're looking for. 
Uh, nothing drives me more crazy than I'm interviewing a med device candidate that is in hospitals and I ask them what they know about uh, Argon and what they've learned and they recite the website to me, which is great. They spent the time to do that, but you're in the hospital. So you've got credentials. You didn't walk down to the departments where we've told you or you've learned that we, we sell the products to interview any of the docs or any of the staff to figure out what they're doing. And I, I'm going to tell you, probably about 90% of med device reps in an interview process, unless it's mandated by the company, which some companies interview process will do that. Uh, but those are going to be higher levels than people who are breaking in industry. But for the, for the lower you know, entry, middle stage uh, med device companies that are hiring someone for med device, they're not doing that. So if you want to stand out, go above and beyond, go find a doctor, go, go to a lab, you know, don't break any rules. And, and honestly, it also gives you a chance to taste what that life is like, where they might tell you, you know, I don't want to talk to you. Oh, I hate that company. They're going to avoid you. And then the real question is, is do you want to do this? Because that is the job day in and day out. And there'll be some places that'll let you in with open arms and some places that will not. And it gives you a taste of a, of a mini day in the life to go to go research what you want to do. So I went round about there. I don't know if I actually answered the question, Paul, no. but uh, no, no, no. You you answered a better question starting at the beginning, which is which is what can you do to prepare yourself to to even have the chance to interview with somebody like you, Brandon? Which that's in my opinion, that's the bigger fight than even the interview is trying to trying to get somebody to notice you. Uh, now you have to do a lot of work once you've gotten people to notice you and you get your shot to interview with the Brandon Bacon. But I'm seeing, I'm seeing that's the biggest thing that people need to do in the market today. It's so saturated. There's so many people looking for jobs. There's so many people that are trying to break into medical. If you're doing everything the same, the same way that everybody else is, it's not going to work. You're not going to get your chance. And so a lot of what I heard from you is one preparation and going the extra mile. And you gave some, some good examples and think about it this way. How much more impressive is it to go to a Brandon Bacon when you do get that shot, when you have something tangible, information that you've collected, data that you've collected on visiting those doctors, if you have the chance, asking them questions, gathering intel, compiling that into information. How much more impressive is it, Brandon, for a candidate to walk up to you in an interview, sit down and slide over tangible data like that to you when you ask, what do you know about us? Rather than just reciting what the website says. Well, it's it's key. And also another thing, so LinkedIn, uh, when you find out who the hiring manager is, to go find them on LinkedIn, understand their background. Then you want to try to find their teams. Now, I, I always have specific, when I was RM, specific directions to the people on my team that if they were getting calls from candidates, that they were not supposed to take them. Uh, or they did not have to take them unless I told them to take a call. But there's windshield time in the job and, and sometimes reps get lonely and they just want to talk. And so they would take the phone calls. So what would usually end up happening is I would get a call or I'd be talking to my, my reps about something that's going on in the field. And they'd say, oh, hey, I got a call from Coleman Stapp. He's interviewing for, um, you know, the Charlotte, North Carolina territory. What do you think? You seem like, you're, I mean, so he's already you know, essentially creating a warm lead before I even speak to him because he's already reaching out, which shows me that there is a high level of interest. There's dedication to that and, and that they're they're going above and beyond what everyone else is doing. Uh, when when you go back to where you're sliding the information across, 
the, the way I always say it is I'm, I'm interviewing people and I don't offer jobs. People take jobs from me. People go through and separate themselves that if I'm down to two candidates, it's honestly, it's the one who takes the job. If I have one where I feel like I have to talk somebody into it or sell somebody between the two candidates, I, honestly, I scrap both of them and start over because that's, that's a lack of passion. And once again, it doesn't mean that they're, they're bad reps or they're bad people. It just means that, you know, they're, they're torn. And it seems to me that you're, they're trying to escape something uh, at a current job, whether it be a poor manager, poor play, uh, you know, financial instability in the company, not sure. And so you're really just trying to take something to make sure you and your family can make ends meet. I can feel that. I know that's going on. But when I get the candidates go through and have gone above and beyond, they give me numbers that are tangible and relevant, that are that are success. And, and the baseline level of success is do you hit quota? Don't get me wrong. Like, I'd love to have a team that were number one in every everywhere they went. But those reps are very hard to find and they're very hard to keep as they climb the ranks as well. They're also typically pretty hard to manage which, uh, you know, some RMs can handle, regional managers, some cannot. But, you know, it's if you're getting quota year over year and you're doing your job, then that's someone I want to speak to. And if you can show that with information you found from the field that you went out and learned, you went out and spoke to other reps, you found out more about the company on the outside before you sat down with me, that means a lot because that's passion. That's energy. Uh, you can't teach passion. You can't teach energy. I can teach you everything else, but if you have no want, no drive, I, I you know, I, if I have to call you at 6.30 to 7 in the morning to make sure you're out the door, it's not a good fit. And I, I think most managers are that way, uh, but there's some that like to check in and we call them micromanagers and that's how they operate. So you'll get a feel for that pretty quickly in the interview process uh, on what they dictate for you to do. Meaning, what's the next step? What do I have to do? The question you should always ask if they give you a pretty detailed list of things that you're going to go through in the interview process, that's probably how they're going to manage. So personality-wise, that's that's pretty important. And then um, for the younger generation, you know, as we established earlier, I'm old. Um, and, and one of the things that uh, that old people like that is, is kind of gone away is follow-up letters. Uh, Coleman can tell you, I've dropped more candidates that I liked after 24 hours without a follow-up because if you're not going to bother to follow up with me after an interview for a job that you want, what makes you think makes me think that you're going to follow up with a doctor that wants product or that you had to send emails to, you know, the, the purchasing department to help push our product through the hospital to get it through the VAT committees. So the follow-up is key. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I know everyone does the text. So the text is, is getting more common, especially with a younger, younger manager, but Old school email is, is a nice thing and it takes you about 10 minutes and I would probably recommend having it typed out before you go in there, but don't fire it as soon as you go to the car. Wait like an hour so it feels like you thought about it. I know you didn't, but yeah, not everyone knows that. Yeah, well, I think that's good because it shows emotional intelligence too. Like you gave a lot of good insight into emotional intelligence, but what you were saying, Brandon, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, and the two biggest things that I got out of that was one you have to follow up. What Brandon just told everybody is a fact. I remember there's multiple times, Brandon, where we would get candidates through the process. I mean, the candidate could have been in the process for as long as a month, right? They've been put through the ringer. They've been really working. Um, and they got to the last step where they were meeting with the head honcho, aka you. They didn't follow up. And Brandon's being serious about his 24-hour follow-up rule. 
and newsflash everybody, he's not the only one that has that. This isn't because Brandon is some uh, super specific manager. There's a lot, I would say most managers have a 24 hour follow-up rule. Brandon's one of the guys that he sticks to that. And I can think of specific candidates, man, where you called me and you're like, I'm sorry, Coleman, but they haven't followed up. It's past the 24 hour mark. I really want to hire them, but I can't because that just, it shows me that they're not taking this serious enough. So that's legitimate. Yeah. D details matter in the, in the process. So when you, when you go through anything, uh, you want to make sure you're, you're doing all the steps. I mean, it's in, even if it sounds mundane or it's over, uh, you know, in your opinion, overkill, do it. Cause I, I'll never, I mean, to, to a degree, like don't call or email or text me 95 times to figure out what the next step is. Go through your recruiter on that. But if you're, you're going through and you're in an account and we interviewed yesterday and you drop by another account based on our interview and what I asked you and you call, you get out and you say, Hey, Brandon, you know, just stopped in this account, uh, checked in there, um, learned some really good information. By the way, they asked uh, about this product. You know, I, I gave them your information. You know, thank you so much for your time. Like if and it, that's happened before where they went in, uncovered a problem in a territory that had been open. And then, you know, I was able to follow up and ultimately I hired that rep and they were able to go in and, uh, clean it up. So you, you never know, but you also don't want to just say, Hey, I was thinking about you and where we are in the job process, because at that point you seem desperate and anyone who's tried to buy a car, well, probably not in the last two years, but prior to that, your first car in 17, 18, 19, uh, nothing reeks like a car salesman who's desperate and, and they want to move a product. Like it doesn't, it's off putting to want to buy from them. So you don't want to be, it's a fine line you have to walk. And, and I would encourage you if you've got the right recruiting team in place, like pursuit with the people that are going through, they'll guide you because they work with the same managers typically, uh, you know, several hires they've had. And they'll tell you like, hey, you can do this, but if you do that, you're, you'll shoot yourself in your foot. So seek their guidance, use them. They're getting paid to get you placed. They're there to work for you and help you while they're working for me. So it's a, it's a weird environment. But, you know, the other side of it is, is, you know, if you call the recruiters and once again, you don't want to nuke them with calls every day. And I've heard, you know, not from pursuit from other companies where they've reached out to recruiters and it takes them three or four days to get back to you. Reach out to the manager and tell them like, hey, I, I didn't know what to do. I tried to reach out to Coleman and figure out which way, but I never heard back from them. You know what's going on. So, you know, there are some recruiters that are really good, some recruiters that aren't so good. So at the end of the day, it's your career, it's your job. Take ownership, be accountable, be responsible, and do what you need to do to try to get the job. Well said, man. So going back to our relationship, Brandon, um, you've obviously been a huge advocate of pursuit. You've been a massive advocate of myself. You've been somebody that's helped me get to the point that I'm at now, both with the insight and the wisdom that you've given me as we've worked together for almost seven years now, um, and also the the success and the the opportunity that you gave me. And it reminds me about how we even got connected. I want to see if you remember how you and I even got connected way back in the day. I do. So I was working with uh, a couple other recruiters, one that was really good and, and the other one that um, was not. Uh, and we were we were looking through our other options. So so young Coleman out of college was reaching out through LinkedIn. What, what essentially happened when I go back through and you, you talk about persistence so Coleman, I reached out to me three times on LinkedIn. Once again, as 
I, I don't read a lot of the words. Like I just see this call over reaching out. We have a service, new company, blah, 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 delete. Uh, the next one comes through kind of the same thing, delete. But he wasn't jamming my inbox every week. It was, it was patterned. It was a month. It was a month. It was a month. So the third month, he sent another one in, delete. So the fourth month comes around and, you know, still the same message. Hey, sorry to bother you. This is the last time I'm going to reach out. Just, you know, want to let you let you know well, these are the service we offer and what we do. Is there any opportunity? And this was dovetailing into the recruiters where I was not getting the candidates nor the attention from my recruiter uh, that I, I wanted or needed to, to build my team. And so I, I gave Coleman a, a call and, and that's how the relationship formed. And that was over, I don't know, three to five months, uh, you know, it was a long time ago. So I, I get a lot of LinkedIn messages, but that was the persistence yeah. he had, pleasantly persistent, knowing I was deleting everything with no response. And then he just, because of the persistence and, and honestly timing, which is, you know, half of life, uh, it ended up yeah. working really well for, uh, for both Pursuit as well as, uh, as Argonne. Yeah, no, it's funny, man. I love thinking about that story. And I talk to my team about it a lot, not to pat myself on the back, but um, somehow I figured out a, a smart way to do it. It's <laughs> 23 years old. I probably did a thousand other ways that failed before I got to you and it just worked out. But um, yeah, it, it, I, it came down to just being persistent. And I never said the same thing over and over again. I never had like a general copy and paste thing. Everything I hand typed out and I tried to personalize to you again, to get your attention, which I'm sure we'll speak to in a little bit, but I still remember what you told me when we got on the phone together. It was, you were interviewing me basically. I was. And you, you were straight up and you said, I have two recruiting companies that I work with. I'm only open to working with three total. I'm not going to work with any more than that. And if I give you a shot, I need you to know you're going to come in at the very bottom and you're going to be third. And what that means is I give number one, all the openings that I have. I give number two, some of the openings that I have. And if they don't do good, then I'll throw the scraps your way. And I was like, done, I'll take it, give me a shot. And the rest is history. Uh, and, and we worked together to get us up to that number one spot in our relationship. Um, but it took time and it took a lot of resilience and it took a ton of follow-up. But I hopefully was never annoying I was just, I was consistent and persistent, always reaching out when I saw that you had an opening, just trying to buy time and get my shot, um, which, which I think directly relates into our first topic, which is um, what can you do to get noticed in a saturated market when you're trying to break into the medical sales industry? Oh yeah. That's, I mean, you can always tell as a manager when the markets are good and when they're bad. Uh, and right now I'm getting inundated with requests from recruiters on LinkedIn, which means that there's not a lot of recruiting and hiring going on. So it's a tough market, unlike, was that 18 months ago, where you couldn't keep, yeah. I mean, everyone was jumping ship. So it goes back to, I highly encourage you to work with good recruiting companies, good recruiters, when they give you the opportunity, it's 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 on you to own it and follow up. So, you know, I, I highly recommend when you're doing this, even if it's a good opportunity, unless it's a corporate recruiter, you know, everything's an interview. And if they're kind of busy and just telling you to send resumes in, that's probably not the best one to work with. I'm not saying don't work with them because you may find something really great out of it, but if they don't have the time to give you five or 10 minutes to talk to you, which is tough for a recruiter because they get just smashed 
Uh, I couldn't imagine. I get a bunch of emails. I, I bet it's a quarter of what uh, the, your team's getting, Coleman. So don't take it personal, but also, you know, they, they need to have a system in place to be able to get back to you. And, you know, good thing they didn't have chat GPT then because they probably would have wrote your emails for you, Coleman. And I, I mean, I never made that phone call. No kidding. No kidding, man. Yeah, well said. That's a great transition, Brandon, into the second biggest thing that I really want everybody to take away from what you said, which again, Brandon's not the only manager that says this. It's it's always the good management that says this and feels this uh, and hires this way. He doesn't give out jobs. That's one way that that you've really helped our organization grow through the years of working together. That was one of the first things you told me, man, as we started working together is the person that's going to get this job is the one that's going to take it. You're just giving them an opportunity once they've gotten to the point where they're showing you that they're taking this job. And what I want the listeners to know is that looks like, yes, great preparation, like Brandon said, doing, doing things extra, going the extra mile, making sure that you're not only looking at the background of the company, but looking at the background of the person that you're interviewing with and, um, and ultimately closing them. I mean, think about how many candidates have gone into an interview with you, Brandon, that seemingly were good and they didn't close. Is that the biggest turnoff that you can have in an interview? I've had phenomenal interviews with no close and just like no follow up, they're gone. Because if you, yeah, in the close, like there's, there's varying degrees. Um, there's the assumptive close. So when's the next step? What's, what's the next step of the process? So you, you're leading me to, to think that that's where we're going to go. But uh, the, the ones that I, I always like, and it's a fine line because I'll give the same answer every time, no matter how often and how hard they push. But do you, is there any reason why, you know, based on this interview and my resume, that I'm not a good fit for your organization? Now, you asked an open-ended question. Be prepared for, you know, open-ended discussion of your shortcomings. So if you don't want to hear that your numbers aren't good, that you don't have the experience, that you didn't go above and beyond... Be prepared that it's not always going to be nice. And I, I can also tell you that if you don't really get an answer there, nine out of 10 times, that means that there are concerns that they just don't feel like discussing with you. So you, yeah. you want to hone in on a couple of things. You want to try to address them as best you can while you're there with them. So, you know, you've only been in industry or in sales for two years and you've had two, two good years. But, you know, for this job, we like to have people with four years of experience. Okay whatever your differentiating factor would be to get them to go from four to two, why? Address that. You know, if it's something that you did in uh, a, a prior job before you got into sales, or if it was something you did in college, whatever it is that shows dedication, you there's your chance. Address it right then and there. Be prepared. You should never ask a question and not have an idea of what the answer is going to be, period. So when you get out of the interview process, when you get to that last part, you should, in your head, be able to know that these are probably the three things that they're going to be hung up on. And you should already have a pre-planned response to those based on the factors that I just mentioned. So you, you want to do that. Also, like the no close, you know, statistically, 80% of all sales calls end with no close, no, no follow-up action, nothing. And that's going to happen in my device, no matter how good we are. And once again, if you can't close me for your career, why would I trust you to close for the doctors to get business? Especially if it's, they've been using Coleman's products for three years. They really like Coleman. He's a nice guy. And yeah, yours is a little bit better, but you never really asked me to close. If you're uncomfortable there, then honestly, 
MedDevice isn't for you today. You need to go learn how to overcome that, get comfortable with no, and then go through and, and work at getting more competence to be able to get in the fire. And that's, you know, same thing when I, I try to teach my reps um, and my managers when I manage. Never, I never ask an RM, I never ask a rep, most of the time, a question, especially about business, I don't already have the answer to. Because I want to see, do you know what I know? Do you pay attention or are you lying? So, and it's not to get people in trouble. It's just to see, you know, most of the time people are just ignorant. They just don't know what they don't know. And it's me, it's a chance to teach them. So when you go through and you ask about the company, you ask about the products, anything that you have to do uh, or that you want to know about the company, you know, make sure some of the stuff you're not going to know, obviously, but anything that they go back to you on your resume, you control that. So control it, own the narrative. If you don't, the interviewer will, and it typically doesn't end well. Yeah. Well said, man. I think there's a lot of good nuggets that that people need to take away from that. And hopefully it's it's been beneficial um, for the people that are listening, trying to break into medical. But again, to kind of bullet point and summarize, hopefully a lot of the points that Brandon's talking about. One, preparation is key. Going the extra mile in your preparation. Two, you have to make sure that you follow up. And again, that has to be within 24 hours. That is a good general rule of thumb. I always, uh, what I would always consult candidates on doing is follow up the same day. I don't care if you went to a, a final interview dinner and it got over at 9 p.m. I'm still following up that same day because, again, it speaks to how much I care about this opportunity and how much I want it. Oh, there's nothing and better than getting that. an email thanking me for the interview at, at midnight or one in the morning because that means that they got yeah. home late, did what they had to do work-wise, and we're still thinking about it. Like that's... Yeah. That's a great sign. For exactly. Exactly. It shows that you really care about it. Uh, and, and you're also not afraid to put in the time, mm -hmm. which is a good thing. Um, and then lastly, close. You have to close. And when you do close, expect to get a response that may not be positive. And if it's not positive, good. That gives you an opportunity to sell back into the negative, the negative things that they brought up. They're being honest with you. Take advantage of that. So um, those are the three biggest things I got from that, Brandon, and, and I appreciate it, man. I'd love to talk a little bit more about leading teams because I know that's, that's seemingly more of what you've been doing over the last few years at least. Mm -hmm. You do it really well. There's a reason that you went from regional manager to director of sales to VP. Um, in your eyes, what does it look like to lead a successful team? How, how do you, how do you start and, and what, what's the foundation of leading a, a successful team, whether it's individual contributors or other sales leaders? Well, you got to remember sales leaders are just a sum of their individual contributors, right? So it's, it, you know, they're, they're, they're hurting cats and then I, I'm hurting the cats that are overseeing the bigger cats, I guess. But, uh, I mean, the first thing is you have to know, at least and this is just my opinion, and uh, I'm a graduate of the University of Memphis, so I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You can probably read something from Harvard or Princeton or whatever that'll have some some manager who uh, now teaches because they were so awesome at it. But the, the first thing is I like to have, uh, you know, a couple of basic ground rules, like accountability is first off. So you're accountable to your numbers, you're accounted to your expense budget, your sample budget, um, making sure the reps are doing everything they need to do to stay in compliance and, and in line with what corporate expectations are, um, as well as you know driving the number while they're doing this. Which being an RM is is the, to me the most important job in a company because you're 
your part-time coach, part-time cheerleader, part-time therapist, like, you know, family counselor, like all the jobs in RM. And if you're managing a team of, you know, five to 10, like that's 10 different individuals with 10 different things going on. So it, it just, you never know what the next call brings. And then that gets kind of, you know, boiled down and then brought to me so I can help, you know, guide my team to what I think. Um, the, the other thing is, is you got to let your team go out and learn on their own. You, you have to, you don't want failure, but failure is positive feedback. If your reps, you know, I, I, with my RMs, I vocalized against a couple candidates who I did not think would be good fits in the organization. And I, I stepped back. I said what I needed to say, but I didn't stop the RMs from hiring them because I needed the RMs to see what I saw because they had to fail. And by failing, they learned. They're like, okay, you know, he's not just old and crusty. He's kind of been doing this for a while. He understands some things. So, you know, they a, built my credibility because when you have new managers that you bring in from the outside or even new managers, because we like to promote quite a bit here. So when we promote from within, you got to fail, just period. So you you got to give them the runway to, to go out and speak your piece, but then let them make their decisions and either prove you're right or prove you're wrong. Um, and, and then um, so accountability and you got to look for for feedback uh, for it from this level. So it's you know one where for the first I don't know eighteen years of my career, you know my role now was the ivory tower, and, and I can see now that I've been sitting in this spot for you know two and a half years, how it's really easy to to get caught up here. I can get caught up in the mission from corporate. I can get caught up in the finance. I can with R and D marketing, and I, I can. It's really easy to to get caught and be you know marketing marketing guy and and support everything that they're doing and agreeing with them that sales is is terrible. But you, you got to be able to have your RMs and just like I mentioned earlier to give you feedback, like and not take it personally. Like I mean, I grant it, my hair is bad and my shirt's awful. Like you know, you can criticize the personal stuff on me, and that's a different conversation. But I need pushback. Like, hey, Brandon, you know, we're, we're building the comp plan for next year. I presented it to my arms yesterday and it got heated. Like there were some pretty healthy discussions going back and forth. And, you know, they, they didn't like, you know, a couple of things and they liked some other things. And I said, before I built this, you said these were the you know two biggest problems. I addressed the two biggest problems. Now you're telling me you don't those aren't the most important problems, which is ironic because when you're in sales, if you go through and I'll use one of our devices, um, you know, our BioPens Ultra is the only full core device on the market, but it's a different style gun. They have to cock it like this instead of pulling back. And so we, we do the demo where we show them and then they say, well, I don't like your gun. So it went from the core was the most important thing to your doctor to now the gun's the most important thing. So it's the same thing. It's the same fight. My, my customers are my regional managers. My customers are my people in the field. So to, to sum that up, to save it from you, you know, accountability, you, you got to let them fail. You got to understand that that is inevitable. You just want to put guardrails on them to make sure that the failure doesn't cost the company plan, doesn't get you in legal hot water. That's nothing that's, you know, moral um, moral or ethically, you know, bad. So you don't want to let them yeah. fail like that. But, you know, with hiring or strategy, tactics, let them play and realize that sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not. And then you have to give them the ability to come in and, and critique you and your job. And, you know, really I'm the buffer from sales to the upper management team. So my, my goal is not, at least the way I look at my job now, I don't represent corporate to sales. I represent sales to corporate. So I hold yeah. other departments accountable for my team based on the feedback. 
And that feedback comes from, you know, the reps that are comfortable enough to call me because uh, I'm not mean, but they don't know me. Everyone, no, not everyone knows me as well as others who I've been here for, with for a long time and regional managers and letting them vent uh, because the other rule of thumb is, is, you know, like in saving private Ryan, you, you never, you never vent down, you vent up and hopefully you have a, a manager uh, or leader that will take that and listen. And, you know, I, I had a, a frantic call last night with uh, one of my regional managers with uh, a situation and, you know, I had to calm him down. And unfortunately I'm really good at getting numbers quickly. And I was able to dispel about three quarters of what he was saying based on the feedback from the rep. So we did it calmly and, you know, he thanked me. He's like, this is, I need to be as good as you are on this. And it's not that I'm good. It's just, I've done it a long time. So I know how to navigate that. So I don't know if that answered yeah. the question. I think it did. No, it does. And it's a lot of what we've been talking about internally at Pursuit. Um, Mike Weinberg is is a really big sales consultant. I'm not sure if you know of him, Brandon. I do not. But we are, um, we are big, big believers in Mike Weinberg and his message. And me and the rest of the leadership team just got done reading his, his latest book. Um, and one of the biggest things that we're taking away from it is you have to create an environment where, where people feel comfortable to bring up conflict. And also this is what I'm learning. Cause again, I've, I've been our director of sales at pursuit for about a year and a half now. Uh, and it's been a long year and a half of learning. And one thing that uh, my boss, our VP and our CEO is teaching me and that I'm trying to trickle down and teach my sales team is that uh, I look at it as juggling, right? There's, there's all these responsibilities that you have. There's all these things that you're trying to juggle to make sure that they don't drop. Some of them are rubber, rubber balls that you're juggling and other are glass balls. You have to know in your day to day and in your role and responsibilities, what are the ones that are rubber where if they drop, they can bounce right back up. And what are the ones that are glass where if it drops, it's broken, like the ethical, the moral stuff that you were talking about, where it's, it's really going to affect the business, the organization, or your standing within the business. So I would encourage everybody as a young sales leader, you have to, you have to figure out what those are. And then you have to hold very tightly to the ones that are glass and be okay with some of the rubber balls falling and bouncing back up. Absolutely. And you got to be ready to pick fights. And, and I'll, I'll tell you a couple of yeah. the easy ones, at least in our company that we could, from, from an ORM perspective that I, I had hard and fast rules that obviously hit your number. But if I wanted to, to kind of, you know, the team was getting unruly, they weren't really getting, uh, I couldn't get their attention. I, I would absolutely just, check their expenses, meaning not looking because they weren't doing anything fraudulently, but was everything marked in the right way? Did they spend it? If it was over this amount, did you get, did you get my approval? Cause I don't remember this. And then samples, if their company gives you samples, you know, are you in budget? Where are you going with them? If I sent you 10 of these, did you sell any of them? How many cases have you driven? What are you doing with them? And I would make a mountain out of what here at Argonne was a molehill and, and being able to do that it shows a you can you can flex your title and you can flex your power, but it's about something that at the end of the day is to Coleman's points a rubber ball. I don't really care, but it's a chance for me to bring you in line and then hopefully be able to flank you around to be like, okay, so you're doing all this, but where are your numbers or where can I help you? And, and that was just kind of the way I operated with that, and it, it worked pretty well. And uh, I've expressed that to some RMs and, and some people have the bandwidth to want to do that. And some do not, which is they have their own methods, which is with the great thing, because you don't want to, as a leader, you don't want to have a bunch of minis. You don't want to have a lot of the same yeah. people as you. There is nothing better than diversity of opinion, diversity of thought, diversity of process, because yeah. 
when you get all of that, what works with, with someone who is a, as a, you know, a DI, you know, so someone who's very direct and intellectual when they go through it. And then you have someone who's very process oriented. Well, the DI might take two or three of the processes from this other rep and, and integrate it in them, which makes them better. While the, you know, the process oriented person is going to take some of the directness that he he's getting or she's getting told from the other one and be able to become a little bit more aggressive when they're selling reps. So you, you don't want a lot of mini meets. You want to have a big diversity uh, of thought and how they do things in their processes. And, and what you'll eventually find is that they all can work and they all can fail. Like it's not, there's not a, a cure all when you're hiring anybody. That's going back to the first part of the conversation. Yeah. It's you, you can try to hire based on this is what I think and, and maybe companies and you can metric this to death. This, this will work and this will not. But to that end, you know, when we do a, if you do a Gallup or, or what we do SRG, I can tell you based on where you score, what the probability is that you're going to be six, like a top performer here. Does it mean that if you're not a certain score, we're not going to hire you? It's just, hey, these are what your potential shortcomings might be. This is how you can overcome it. And some reps I've watched, they know that inherently. I had a rep in Miami who was an outstanding rep who was an introvert who didn't like people. He just, he was six foot nine, the greatest sales rep, greatest guy I've ever, I've worked with. One of the greatest guys I've ever worked with. And he'd go into a lab and you thought he was the mayor. And you would come out and we'd get in the car and he'd be quiet for 15 minutes because he had to decompress because it was work for him to do that. And he knew it. So that's how he overcame it. And that's if you do, you let reps figure this out and learn how to do it. And you have that difference. Like it makes teams so much more effective and better. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and I think that's a great way to wrap it up um, because it's a good transition back into the beginning of the call. So hopefully this is something that um, that that the viewers and the listeners have gotten a lot to take away from. Um, I, I really want people to have the opportunity to learn from you, Brandon. Because number one, you're a great guy. But number two, you are as successful as anybody in the industry. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man, because I also know you're really busy. You've become less accessible to me the higher you've gone up the ranks, man. And it's, it's really hurting my feelings. But It's crazy. If, you don't, if I have calendar time that's open, there's always time for a call. It just shows <laughs> up. I, I know. I know. And, uh, and so go out there and make sure you're calling people that you're trying to get access to. But Dude, thank you so much again for for joining and, and uh, giving us some of your insight and some of your wisdom. And I want to give you the floor to be able to close with anything you want, whether that's telling people more about you, more about Argon, um, more uh, about your insights on the topics. You, this The floor is yours now, man, to close us. Well, first, I, I want to thank you, Coleman, for for thinking of me and uh, and bringing me in to, to be able to speak to potential young leaders as well as uh, hopefully future candidates uh, for Argonne as we continue yeah. to grow our business. Uh, I'd like to thank the partnership that you have brought with me uh, to be able to go through and, and really build uh, great sales teams uh, throughout the years. So thank you for that. And, and really, you know, and I have to say is, is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, failure is positive feedback and, and you're going to fail in the interview process. You're going to get to the end and they're going to, you know, especially for those of you coming outside of industry, you will hear, until it kills you in your soul that you're not in the space. You're not in the space. And the more you hear that, figure out how you can get better. But I mean, just expect that and drive, but don't take that as a as limiting factor. Go through and keep, you know, exploring your options, going above and beyond, set yourself apart. 
and the young leaders, it's trial by fire. Make sure you you uh, have an understanding with your direct boss as to what's expected. Um, you know, some some organizations and, and some leaders in my role don't tolerate failure. They're not going to let you make those mistakes, and that's fine. That's their their culture. So so don't do that without understanding as to what the ramifications are for your career. Because I hate for anyone to listen to this and then kind of go down this road and then they end up losing their job. So make sure you know your lane, what's good for your company, know where the edges are. So if you kind of want to get on the edge of it with uh, two wheels there, you're not going to be getting fired, but you're going to be able to get exposure and hopefully learn and do well and just realize that when you try something new that goes against your boss, we, we want success and you can do that about two or three times. But if you give me two or three failures in a row, then I'm going to, I'm going to narrow your lane down pretty aggressively. So just make sure as you're learning that you're actually producing and doing your job and you're able to show that to your manager. Yeah. Well said. Well, ditto everything you said, man. Thank you for your partnership, your trust. You've been huge for my success in our companies. So we appreciate you. Hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Thank you to everybody listening. Hope you have a good day. Peace, everyone. Thank you. Good luck.